Pagalevsi, Uvanga Angela Starts, and welcome to Real Indigenous. We have a very exciting guest with us tonight, but I also have my regular hosts, if everybody will introduce themselves. Madhu, I'm Sunrise Tipikani. Uh, Hi, I'm Monica Brain. Hi, I'm Matt Bars. And we're so excited to have a guest all the way from Alaska. If you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, goodness, geez. I'm Vera Starbird. I'm Klinka and Denina. And right now I'm coming to you from Trinkadani, a.k.a. Juneau, Alaska. And I'm a writer and editor and playwright and a bunch of other stuff, but TV writer, I think, for today. And thank you. Goodness, geez, for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. One of the hottest topics right now is the WGA strike. And I just had to explain the whole thing to my hairdresser last night. So (laughs) do you want to share a little bit about what's going on with all of that? Sure. It's in some ways pretty simple. And that's that TV and film writers that belong to the Writers Guild of America, which is most sort of if you're going to write for a big studio or a uh, feature film, it's, you're going to belong to the Writers Guild. Um, we're on strike right now. We have been for about six weeks to try and fight for fair wages. Right now, the studios are literally not even talking to us. They're um, not even considering some of the very reasonable requests that the WJ has made to them. So we're just sitting here not writing on the TV shows we want to write on and the films we want to write on and um, just hoping this sort of short-term pain will lead to long-term fair pay and living wages. Well, in the last time there was a strike, it was how long ago? Do we know? Sunrise, do you remember? It was 2007, 2008, yeah. It's been a while. And so since then, there's been this huge rise in streaming and productions by these streaming companies, right? Yeah, I I would say it's definitely some of the big, um, really sort of at the heart of what the strike is about and where the fair wages fight is, is back 2007, 2008, that was just the beginning of streaming. And there was a little bit of work on that area. But again, it was just sort of at the beginning of just how big it got so fast. And right now, TV of 2023 looks nothing like TV of 2007 or certainly not 2000, 1999, you know, the last time these sort of big changes were made. So it skews very, very hard in the studio's favor as far as they're getting writing for very, very cheap and making record profits on these streamers. And the writers are making less than ever. And, and I, I think the number is like 23% less when you adjust for inflation. And it's just sort of only going to get less and less because of course, one, inflation is going up and two, the wages are just that low. And it seems like there's also like a level of work, right? Cause like the part of it is how many people someone can be managed, like in a writer's room, for example, like the, the number of uh, members that you have to manage or uh, it seems like that's also a level of work that's um maybe increasing um i don't know if yeah, that, how much i mean yeah. yeah the writer's room it, i'm a fairly new member of the wga and 
even 10 years ago or five years ago um, from uh, friends that I've had who've been there a little bit longer, they described these writer rooms that looked nothing like the writer's rooms I've been involved in. Um, and the writer's room now are shorter. Um, so you'll maybe get 10 weeks of work, maybe 20 weeks of work and still be locked into a contract for three years, you know, for that 10 or 20 weeks of work that you have. And so you have to ask permission and, and in a lot of cases, not be able to write on other things while um, you're locked into these really short pay periods uh, at the same time. So uh, that's it. A lot of it does get super specific into industry stuff. It's a really unique profession. Um, and in fact, most of Hollywood sort of operates on really unusual circumstances. <laughs> so it doesn't translate very well to when you're talking to people about what's a mini room. <laughs> Why is that a big deal? Um, I actually had to learn what a mini room was because it wasn't what it sounded like or um, what does uh, this adjustment for uh, a WGA minimum mean? You know, what, what, is that, what on earth does that mean? They're not even talking numbers. And the heart of it, though, is just right now, writers are not able to get full-time work, steady work, for a fair wage enough to justify being a full-time writer like so many of these writers have to work including myself multiple multiple jobs to be able to be a full-time writer or they have to sort of work their day job and try and figure out how to also be a writer well and I was listening to the interview that y'all did with Native American Calling and Sierra was talking about how residuals have come into play just because the streamers don't pay those residuals like broadcast does. And so oh, you literally pennies on the dollar to, to what broadcast would be. And that was in part because these are deals made under like YouTube kind of terms. They're like web webisode of 2005 sort of ideas of what TV is <laughs> where you're just not going to actually be creating something that makes a lot of money on 2005 internet. Uh, but of course we know now that the majority of what people will ingest is actually streamers at this point. So you're getting almost nothing. Um, I think Sierra said she, she had had like a 50 cent residual <laughs> for one of her shows uh, versus tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, you're talking, not just like minor differences for uh, like, like a major network show, you might get residuals that are in the tens of thousands versus literally getting 50 cents or 50 bucks for a streamer. That's really um, and weird that's because I the up... difference between, uh, you know, something you could do full time versus like, well, that was a fun project. I did that one time. Right. I was going to say, that's really weird. Cause like I set up like four TVs and was trying to stream as many as uh, Sierra's shows as I could to um, get her as much money as possible, you know, like, <laughs> well, I thought that was how you got, y'all got paid. Yeah, I say like, it, it, we might not get paid for that, but it does matter for, um, the, the students are definitely paying attention to that as far as what they will uh, renew or continue and all that kind of stuff. So it does matter. Um, and that sort of gets you, gets you the next job or the next season or whatever. So it does matter, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's such a big fight for the WGA right now is, um, making sure writers get paid because 
studios are certainly getting paid huge amounts for that. Just the writers and actors and all the, you know, all the people who actually created it aren't, aren't yeah. seeing that. Do you feel like um, it's a hard sell to like the average American or even maybe the average native person that, um, you know, that you deserve uh, higher wages, you know, considering, I think there's this idea of somebody, you know, who, who writes for television is, is, you know, handing out cash or whatever is so rich that. Oh yeah. Rolling in it. Yeah. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck swimming uh, in coins yeah. and things like that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think some of it's just because of the understanding when you, and you hear the big numbers and it just almost becomes meaningless when you hear the studios throw around like this is the, they spent $730 million on this movie or whatever. And, uh, you know, 4 million an episode. And so you just throw those numbers around and it sounds like, oh my gosh, everyone who's working on that <laughs> is making so much money when the reality is very, very few people are actually making a huge amount of money. Um, and, and this is sort of an example, like just using kind of a pretend number and I use it, um, I round it so I can do the math. <laughs> Otherwise I can't. But so you might hear like, oh, this writer got a, and this, this would be a big deal. This is actually not that usual. Most writers who get, who are working are staffed on a show that's not their own show, but um, so maybe you got a hundred thousand dollar deal for, to create your own show, which is like, holy cow, you know, just one show that we see. And, and when we ingest it on a streamer, we see it for 10 weeks. So you kind of go like, wow, a hundred thousand dollars for like 10 weeks. The reality is, um, First of all, just to get to that point, you've probably done a year or two years of work for no pay to develop that show. Right. Um, I've done a few of those where you, you do an awful lot of work before the studio ever pays you, um, mm -hmm. including like notes from them that they'll make and you, and you need to do that without getting the pay. So you're, you're just trying to do work to get it sold. <laughs> Once it's actually sold, you don't sort of get this all in one pile. It takes a couple years to develop a show with the studio. Um, so now you're talking, maybe it takes two years. You're getting 50,000 a year. So that's like a decent wage for a person, right? Well, the fun part about being a freelance writer is you're at about a 40 to 50% tax rate. <laughs> so take that down to like, we'll say generously and say like 20 or 30%. And um, now you're splitting $70,000 and then you still have to pay a percentage to agents and, and mm -hmm. wages, uh, yes. managers and stuff. So right. by the end of it, you're at maybe 15 to 20,000 a year for your work on this show. Mm -hmm. um, and wow. you know, there's, that's like the most basic, basic, basic explanation of how it works. I just saw somebody break it down on Twitter and I was like, Oh, finally someone is broken down in writing that people can understand. But it's like, um, that's why people work on multiple shows. <laughs> you know, like you have to work on multiple shows. In my case, um, I'm a playwright who's still working on plays. I'm uh, editing a magazine. I'm working on animation, which is not part of the WGA. And I was working on uh, WGA projects until the strike. And I kind of have to do that to get it to a point where we could just pay the bills. Like it's... <sighs> It's it's really interesting because I'm I'm getting an education myself right now on what people in Hollywood really do make. And it's a very few that actually are sort of making these big mm -hmm. dollars. And honestly, like 
want to get into actors. <laughs> like, these poor right. actors. I mean, there's some that um, might get paid a thousand dollars for two weeks of work, mm-hmm. which sounds yeah. like, oh, that's great. But they're actually locked in and they can't work on anything for maybe two months to do that two weeks of work. So now you're talking thousand dollars for two months of mm-hmm. needing to wait around to be able to do those two weeks of work. Um, and that's like for a pretty good role. <laughs> you know? like, right. yeah. If you don't have like much of a role, um, you're, you're going to be paid the, some, some pretty low wages and um, entertainment industry here in Alaska. And it's, it's like this all over the United States, but there's exemptions specifically for entertainment workers where we don't have to make minimum wage. How do you feel like you, you so you're talking about these uh, a variety of different formats and that you're talking about animation, which is not um, affected by the WGA in the same way. And then you're talking about maybe asking permission to go on uh, uh, to work for another entity of some sort, another company or another show. Do you feel like any of the ways in which the uh, negotiations are happening are are going to be favorable like where do you sit in relation to when you come back out does it feel like it's gonna be favorable or do you feel like you might lean into one of these other areas of like animation for example um at the end do you feel like your career is going to change as a based on where you feel negotiations negotiations might be sitting yeah some of it is there what the studios actually would make some headway on there there were a few points out of the um, dozen or so points that the WJ was coming with. There were a few points where the studios were willing to talk. Um, and some of that was a raise in the minimums, which is kind of usual. Like you'd sort of expect these, these deals come every three years and you'd expect the minimums to go up. Um, we're, we're paid at what's called minimums, which is sort of like sort of our minimum wage, <laughs> like, um, which is just the, the chunk you can make per week or per project. And um, it's really complicated. It's a whole table. I don't even understand it. I just sort of hope my agent does <laughs> right. um, for what, you know, is set. And those will raise, um, I would be, I should say, I'd be very shocked, obviously, that there, there's no deal yet, but they did make headway on those and they were public about that. Um, but that's sort of expected. That That one is like, that's sort of what always happens is they agree to raise it and they should because of inflation and all of that. But um, where it, it gets very dicey at is those streamers. And that goes into the future of whether you can have a career or not. That's, um, I should say, we've kind of been talking about like the wages themselves. Part of this making it a career is there's no real school you go into and you sort of learn this is what it's like to be a TV writer. Um, if, if you're paying for that, you're probably not paying for a very good you know, like education because you have to just be there and experience it. Um, being on the set for Alaska Daily, I could have not written and just sat there and watched and had such a huge education for what it means to write for a living, breathing TV show, uh, live action. That's completely different from animation, which is what I've been doing more of the past um Oh gosh, I don't even know. I feel old every time I talk about it, but several years <laughs> that I've been doing animation to jump into live action on a network show, just a completely different beast. And you have to be there. You have to see it. You, you know, you can describe it as much. And I was some very, very helpful writers on staff 
took me aside and, and told me what to expect. And even though they did that, I still couldn't figure it out until you're actually there and you're uh, expected to sort of make these decisions on the fly and rewrite that thing that isn't quite working um, or paying attention for continuity and, and catching little things. Um, you have to be there. And the way that studios are operating now where they're, um, it's not allowing for new writers to come in. For me as a native writer, that's even more important because we know there's not that many native writers in the industry. And that means you're allowing for less um, opportunities for native writers to be experienced. And therefore they're not gonna get that job when right now what the studios are doing is with the mini rooms, which is a lot of what people talk about. They're only hiring very experienced writers because they're hiring so much, so many fewer writers mm -hmm. and expecting those very experienced writers to write the entire show where it might be a team of 12 or up to 20 writers, 24 writers on a show before they're expecting five or six very mm -hmm. experienced. So of course the studio is only going to pay the most experienced writers to do that. Well, we know the most experienced writers are not primarily going to be native writers because they haven't been sort of let in the door with very few exceptions. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the scary part is that people like Sierra, you know, have opened the doors for me. People like Larissa Fassett have opened the doors for me. And I'm fighting like hell to try and open it for others. But if they're not going to allow new writers in the room and get that experience and get that um, time with more experienced writers to learn, that door is just going to be shut again. And that's scary. <laughs> like It's really scary to think like we've made all this progress and now we're going backwards is what it feels like. Yeah, we even talked about on this show about how we're seeing this progression of interesting layered native women characters on television. Now they only last a season or two at this rate, yeah. right. but, but we're seeing them. And, you know, Roz and, and Jana's character with Regan and everything. And it's just so empowering. And to have this whole thing just grind to a halt, yeah. it, it, may, it worries me about the future representation that we have. The, the, the interesting part <laughs> is that a lot of these streamers especially are realizing oh, wow, Native storytelling is actually really good. I don't know how many backwards compliments I've gotten about, like, Molly <laughs> Denali or, you know, like, <laughs> parts of Alaska Daily, where it's like, we never knew, like, Native writers could do such good work. And it was like, ooh, oh thank gosh. you, I think. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're realizing, like, oh, gosh, this is what people want. And really, they do. Like, the, the industry actually knows they... Um, not all of them, but certainly a lot of them know audiences want really specific stories. Reservation Dogs, that's a very specific story. Rutherford Falls, that's a very specific story. And people love it. And people really want that cultural specificity. Oh, just pretend I said that right. But um, they, they know that. At the same time, they get a little scared of it because they don't understand it necessarily. And they kind of have to trust that other people, AKA actual real life native people 
will know how to do that. And so there's, I, I feel like that's where we're at right now is this sort of like, oh, we want you to do this, but we don't know if we really trust you because we're used to having the power. Um, and we're, we're in that. And I think the more excellent shows like Reservation Dogs, like Real Indians, like Molly Denali, um, come out and have success, have some commercial success. Unfortunately, for studios, it has to translate into commercial success also. Um, but the more that happens, the more they're going to look for that. Like this isn't a, or sort of indirectly, um, it, it might encourage. It's like, no, it's literally because of the success of, for honestly, for me, they, because of the success of Reservation Dogs, I got an opportunity on something else. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of the usual thing is like, we get that one shot and if we mess it up, uh, versus, right. you know, uh, pr- primarily white uh, productions can mess up many, many, many times before and oh, yeah. still get that next shot. Yeah. And nope. that's that's nothing new, but, but we're here trying. Well, and I, I think the whole thing with Eileen and getting into that relationship with Roz really is what my hope is for the rise of that trust that we know how to tell our stories and we know how to tell good stories and that you know the non-native people in the industry will will learn how to trust and let us do our what we what we love to do just like Eileen did with Roz Mm -hmm. yeah there honestly there were so many times in the writer's room where myself and Andrew McLean was the other native writer on the Mm -hmm. show and uh we were we'd just be like we're sort of just introducing ideas that we're having ourselves in this room because, you know, Roz and Eileen are these journalists, but still writers. And so we just sort of insert whatever we were struggling with <laughs> on the, you know, in the writer's room into the story. And it got very meta, very fast. And um, yeah, we were kind of like, what, what is real life? What is art? You know, we're just, <laughs> like, we're just sort of putting in our own argument and they play like, uh, to his credit, like, uh, um, the showrunner kind of dug into that. He literally like, well, let's put this, this whole argument we just had, like, let's, yeah. let's put this in, this whole debate, like let's put this in. And that ended up, that, that showed up in the script several times where we'd okay. sort of be debating this one thing and it just turned into what Eileen and Roz were arguing about. Yeah, that's fantastic. It, then it really is in service of art, whether it's commercially viable or not, or whether it's, um, you feel that it's functioning mm-hmm. or not, or whether they do that's an amazing moment where it's documenting what's actually happening regardless of I guess who gets credited and um, the quote-unquote success or not or where viewership lands or not just the fact that it's depicting your experience yours and Andrew's experience that's an amazing circumstance that seems so rare um, just in general but then the the fact that it's reflecting indigenous realities that's amazing Yeah, it also made us very nervous. <laughs> right, yeah. So afraid. Yeah. You know, we're just like, oh gosh, well, hope we don't kick out of Alaska for this. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. We need to be able to go back home. Yeah, can you talk about that? Can you talk about this fear of that. getting kicked out of Alaska <laughs> for Alaska Daily? Yes, that was so real. That was real from before I even left. And for the good part was I, I truly did not have any time to think about it before I left. Um, from the time I took the first meeting with the producers about writing on the show to the time I left for New York to write on it, 
was 72 hours. Like it was very fast. And I just sort of had to agree to move to New York for uh, this undetermined time that they thought might be six weeks and it turned into four and a half months. So that was just sort of my sort of crazy life for uh, in, the, in the time we were writing for the show. Um, if I had thought about it, I might've been a little bit more scared. <laughs> I was pretty yeah. terrified anyways, just sort of uprooting and moving um, to do this thing, you know, ironically to go leave Alaska to go to New York to write about Alaska. Um, but um, Andrew, and I don't want to speak too much for Andrew, but we've definitely talked a lot <laughs> about yeah. pretty, having pretty similar experiences of, um, we know how we're usually portrayed and native people as well as Alaskans who aren't native um, and certainly just native people across the nation and how we're usually portrayed like that's, that's not a secret and even non-native people know that that's generally inaccurate or you I don't know I, I always think people know that but I get surprised how much they don't know yeah. um, and how fast it can be not only inaccurate, but exploiting um, what our experiences and our pain, especially um, knowing ahead of time that this was going to be centered around a missing murdered indigenous woman storyline um, made me very nervous. Because I, I do see that exploited. Um, and that, you know, one of our most sensitive pains um, being exploited for entertainment purposes. And that was one of the first questions I asked the creator, Tom McCarthy and the showrunner and producers when I did take the meeting. And that especially I think was at the heart of, oh gosh, we don't want to get this wrong. You know, we don't, um, we can't look at our communities <laughs> in the face if we've gone and compromised on these things so that we can have a job and we can uh, see our work on TV like it just felt really gross and so mm -hmm. boy did we we spent oh gosh two months maybe in the room debating a lot of that and like how to do that and how not to exploit but to explain and what could actually uh, be of service to our communities at the same time that's not how Hollywood works that's not how most writers are used to writing um, responsibility to community is so commonly understood by, um, I won't say all Native people, but I, it's not an uncommon experience to really feel that strongly, the responsibility to your community, to represent them right, to get them right, to portray them in a faithful way. And that's just not something most other writers in Hollywood are used to. And that's not a dig at them it's just not a reality they that's that's not something they have to do mm -hmm. um you don't have to portray a white person in a, in a non-stereotypical way because they're used to dominating the entire field mm -hmm. so that fear was with us every single day every argument i mean and i i think there was times we were heard times we weren't um it was some of that was expected both Andrew and I have worked in the industry and in, in different ways for years so it wasn't a surprise when we had the sort of same argument you've had for years and years on in the writer's room mm -hmm. um, and there were some really scary times where uh, it was not going well and it was 
being it was representing Native people in a way we absolutely did not want it to be represented. And that took some rough, rough <laughs> battling sometime. Um, and those, I think that's what we're most afraid of. I think, and I, I still say this, I'll just start speaking for myself. I won't speak for Andrew. Hopefully I'll have him on someday. Um, mm. But I, I was very afraid that they would see that we hadn't done the full story that we hoped to do. Because as a writer, anyone behind the scenes on any show or any movie knows everything you didn't do. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you know, all of the sort of great ideas that you hoped to do and that didn't happen. And that's all we could see for a while. All I could see for a while was just mm-hmm. all the stories we left on the floor that I really wish we could have included. Um, that fear started going away when it finally aired. Mm-hmm. And specifically when the third episode aired, which is they actually go to an Alaska Native village. And Andrew yes. was very involved in that episode um, because it was portraying um, a community he's from, or it's a mm-hmm. uh, fictional village, but it, mm-hmm. it's where it's the area he's from. So he really um, babysat that whole episode through. And once that was out and we saw specifically the reaction of native people mm-hmm. and how they liked seeing someone in the Matiklet, uh, they saw, um, Anupak dancers, they saw earrings mm-hmm. with ivory and mm-hmm. they saw all these familiar things and literally familiar people from Alaska yeah. in, the, in the story. And it was really, I'm going to get emotional again, but it was so relieving <laughs> to see like, okay, I've been focused on what didn't happen this whole time. And but everything that they were noticing were things we fought for, things that we introduced, storylines that we suggested. Um, there were there was a little scene that I helped write that got noticed by Native people specifically that they'd never heard that before or seen that on, on television, certainly not like prime time network television. But, mm-hmm. And all those sort of little moments that made Native people in Alaska so proud. That's when I started like, okay, I can be a little less afraid <laughs> that mm-hmm. they're going to hate it. And they, I think they saw that work. And I think Native people are so used to how we're being portrayed. I wasn't giving them credit for knowing like, no, we're not going to get the whole thing right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, This isn't going to be a show, um, you know, that's entirely Alaska Native um, because that's just not where primetime network television is right now. But they're Mm -hmm. so happy what we could include. And yeah, it was, um, that was, that feels like a very long version, but it was actually like, this is, Four and, a half, four and a half months of being terrified yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that all the native, our, our communities would be so disappointed in what, in what we do. And to instead, and you're going to get emotional again, to have them so proud of what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, that meant the world. That just meant everything. That third episode really, I mean, it, yeah. it really shifted the whole tone <laughs> for me. And mm-hmm. I, you know, even when we were talking about it, on this show, I got emotional mm-hmm. explaining that whole conversation on the plane mm-hmm. where Irene is telling them all of the different people that are there. And I, and I mean, to hear, oh, now I'm going to get emotional again, mm-hmm. to hear <laughs> our people's name on broadcast television mm-hmm. being said and Sorry. being differentiated from all of the other Alaskan people. <laughs> I was just, yeah, it gets me, it gets me every time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and Andrew was in that episode. That. Right? That, yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. He did his little. Um, yeah. He did his little cameo. Yeah. I'm also so glad you mentioned that scene because that's just, that's one of the two scenes I helped write. Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, tears, um, tears were going down my face. I was would, like, ah. Yeah. Anytime anybody and talks about right that, down to the wire. yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so that went right down to the wire. Where I mean that that conversation had happened so much in the room, and it got mm-hmm. included at some point in the script but even the script we were tweaking literally um i was on the phone um with the people on set tweaking lines for that scene as they're filming you know like that's just how down to the wire it came to for what we were really fighting for an authenticity um Mm -hmm. and and i say fight they wanted it it's not like this whole thing was just us saying do this and then saying no like it they wanted it but they also had their own ideas coming from their own experience of what they wanted and so it was sort of you're always sort of fighting for your perspective to be portrayed and in our case we felt we were representing the entire people mm-hmm. <laughs> in what our perspective was mm-hmm. um which they didn't really have the burden of so um it, it yeah that that scene um whew, when I saw it too and I was I was afraid they were going to, and they did cut a little bit of it. And you always get surprised when you see what finally airs and you know, they edit out some parts or whatever. They, mm-hmm. they didn't cut too much, but they cut a little bit of it that was kind of funny. I thought we kind of kept, Andrew and I definitely kept fighting for a lot more humor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. And I think sometimes they're like, gosh, you're dark. And I was like, I don't know, it's native humor. It's pretty dark. Right? Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing what you're describing also sounds like it's the, the six o'clock deadline that happens in like one of those later episodes. It feels like, yeah. like the, the deadline's coming and there's the burden of representing like the truth. And in this yeah. case, it's like, again, another moment, it feels like it's reflective of what's happening on in your life. Um, very interesting. Yeah, amazing. I will say from all my experience being working in animation, working in theater, all this other stuff. Um, I would say my experience being a journalist was almost more applicable to the schedule and deadlines of what had to happen there <laughs> mm. um, than, than other forms of writing because it was so like, um, you know, you need, you need to have this uh, by tomorrow and the panic of that and getting that in or literally, yeah, like, okay, they're, they're doing the scene right now. <laughs> there was one where it was and it it feels like such a small thing but we got in you sort of get the dailies so the dailies are the little um sections of script that they're shooting that day Mm -hmm. and we get the dailies in late on new york time they're filming this in vancouver mostly some of it in alaska but most of it in vancouver so three hours um ahead behind ahead mm-hmm. um so we get these dailies and they shoot really early like 5 6 a.m um when i was on set i mean there was one day where my pickup time was 4 15 a.m and i almost cried so early and uh and so you're you're basically getting to the office in new york at the same time they're starting to shoot and so you'd get the dailies and you sort of scramble through to see what was changed 
um, because there's a writer on set and sometimes a creator or a showrunner is on set. So they might change something on set while you're in the room. Um, so you first thing you know, get them and sort of run through that with the group. And there was one, it seemed so small, but I knew like Alaskans would absolutely laugh if we did this. And it was just a location. They changed the name of the village they were going to, which was way out of the way. Like it was just ridiculous that they'd like fly for hours and then go on a side trip for hours and then like back. So I had to like scramble, find a new village for them, get that okayed. Um, and just like, <laughs> it was like such a small thing. We just needed them to get this village right. And of course they don't, I mean, you know, these people don't know anywhere in Alaska. So they're sort of just relying on myself and Andrew for accuracy. And they're like, oh, this always on me to get, <laughs> to get this village. <laughs> um, but then you do it and you're like, okay, okay, we're filming now. Gotta go. And you're just like, oh, please let them have gotten that right. Like let the message have gotten through to the actor, you know, and, and at the same time you're trying not to focus on the fact that you're like, giving Hillary Swank new lines <laughs> like the last minute. Right? Um, so, so intense I mean, it was so like um yeah you, you you do get a very like uh stop the presses kind of mode and they're like we're not stopping no press here like it's this cost us oh I think I did the math once and it was just like twenty thousand dollars a minute or some crazy thing and it was just like they're not stopping for anyone like mm-hmm. they're they're gonna chunk through and we'll pick it up and post you know <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was pretty intense. It was really fun. But, oh man, how many times, even those little things, there were a few things that did come up when it aired where um, an actor or someone might just change some small line. And in that case, uh, this one that just will bother me to the end of my life, where one of the actors said, um, to uh, a character like, oh, would you like to go down, or would you like to go to Seward for the day? And he goes, oh yeah, I haven't been up there for a while. Oh, and just whoops. every Alaskan <laughs> <laughs> was just like, up there, Seward, <laughs> you know, and it was just like, oh, and I heard, I saw that, you know, when it finally aired, it was just like, nice in the heart, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and it, and it took some little adjustment to a line an actor had that because there was no Alaskan on set didn't catch and yeah for the rest of my life that's my name's on that you know it's <laughs> oh, so ironic <laughs> so if I can back yeah. up a little bit and talk about so you, and you don't have to I mean don't tell us how much you got paid but I'm just I'm just curious as to how many hours of of time of your time as a writer goes into each episode and you know kind of if that's like how much per hour you're making I I don't know how to ask that like cagely but (laughs) you know I mean yeah well if you're getting paid by episode (laughs) um well so producer level writers are the the some of the irony is this was it's also an education getting into television and education in titles mm-hmm. and you're like how many producers can they have you know <laughs> what are all these producers doing well an awful lot of them are actually writers they're called like mm-hmm. producer level writers so like co-executive producers executive producers a lot of them are just writers not just but they're writers um the irony is the lowest rung in the writer's room is staff writer and it's the 
only title that actually has a writer in it and it's the lowest rung in the room. <laughs> so um, as a staff writer, um, and this is also industry standard by contract, like this is WGA by contract, a staff writer is also one of the only ones being paid weekly. So I got a weekly salary okay. um, that's set on just, you know, mm-hmm. pretending that I'm only gonna work for it 40 hours a week. Okay. I'll just spoil it and say it was more than that. It was not, this was not a 40 hour a week job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say in the writer's room, it was closer to that, unless it's your episode that you're actually writing. It's going to be closer to that um, because there's set hours and you kind of go and get all your creativity out. But I didn't meet a single writer who wasn't researching on their own, um, writing little sections sometimes for other people's episodes or doing whatever on their own. Um, so even then it wasn't strictly 40 hours, but you're sort of expected in the room for that 40 hours a week. Um, once you're on set, it's, uh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is like that 4.15 pickup and, you know, it, it got to the point where like, I'd be like, pick up 6 a.m. Oh, good, finally sleep in. And I was like, am I? 6 a.m., sleep it in. Um, <laughs> and then you're being dropped off at 10, 11 at night, you know? like and it's straight through you're you're working that whole time like the kind of joke was the writers actually on set do have an office at the studio um that one of the actors and I won't say who slept in it because it was never used but just the writers <laughs> if you're on set you're you're not really using that office like I think I went in there once to eat lunch like that was kind of it um, um. and it's you're just on set that entire time um which is super fun but super exhausting so you kind of have this range of like 40 hours to whatever whatever (laughs) set is or writing if you're writing an episode um some of the episodes we had quite a bit of time to write um my episode was the last episode um and that was post Hillary um announcing a pregnancy Mm. in which we knew we were going to have to cut episodes (laughs) but we didn't know how many. So mm-hmm. for two weeks, it was every day, it would change from, it's gonna be 10, it's gonna be 11, it's gonna be 10, it's gonna be 11. So not only were we having to cut two or three episodes immediately anyways, we didn't even know how long we had to wrap up the season. And mine was either going to be the finale or I wasn't gonna be able to write an episode. <laughs> every day, oh, wow. I'd just go oh, in man. and it was, oh. still have an episode. And then the next day, uh, just kidding, it's going to be 10 episodes. You don't have an episode anymore. Um, and so we just got to be where it's like dissociated and was like, let me know <laughs> whenever, uh, whatever at this point. Um, and so when I finally got the go ahead and we were able to not only start deciding, because that was about episode eight, it was like in the middle of episode eight, where they had to rewrite a bunch of eight immediately to sort of adjust for this cutting of these episodes um they had to adjust nine and ten and then still kind of get around to 11 um I had about five days to write the whole episode and they needed it as I wrote it so I'd literally write an act so an act is like between the what an act is like you write and then commercial break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's an act. Right. Um, so I'd write an act and send it in. 
and write another act and set, like that's how fast they needed it because we we're, were in such a crunch time by the time we got to oh my episode and so I never actually had the whole thing in my hands able to go back and edit so it was just like well hope that's enough pages <laughs> because, oh my you know I can I can only do just sort of hope that that's that's gonna line up uh, for the time and, and shockingly um they didn't change that much they you know, there's always editing and I was able to edit, you know, going into actual shooting, but, um, for the writing time, yeah, it was, you know, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm doing till 3am to get this act in <laughs> so they can start working with it and planning for it. I mean, they're literally starting why they need it is because they need to start building sets, finding right. costumes, mm-hmm. all, all of that stuff, you know, they need weeks to be able to do. So they needed them. And it was just like, oh gosh, just here, you hundreds of people working on this. Here's a partially done oh. <laughs> thing for you to plan from. So um, when it comes to, I know that's a big long thing to go. Like, I, I don't think I'd ever want to figure out hourly. Yeah. Just like the residual. I, I think I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to live with myself. Um, and, and as a staff writer, um, you also don't get separately paid for your episode. You still only ever get that salary, which is most of the writers get paid per episode as they'll pay you for however many episodes there were in the season that you worked on. Um, so all of the producer level writers, which is most of them, um, got paid for however many episodes there ended up being in our case 11 episodes and this goes to the heart of like why now that there there used to be 24 episodes in a season 26 sometimes and now it's like eight six you know like so Mm -hmm. all of those producer level writers are getting even less um but then they also get a fee for writing their episode and in my case I only ever got salary which um kind of helped in my case because I ended up working the same amount of weeks as we were going to um for the season and I usually didn't have a reduction in pay <laughs> for cutting those episodes but other other writers you know if you're getting paid per episode but cutting those episodes they they missed out on two episodes or three episodes worth of pay so it it kind of works out in that way where um even though I'm at a lower pay scale and getting paid uh just weekly um there there, there were some benefits to that when you have sort of a chaotic season um, once you get into producer level, yeah, it's, it's really different. And those are actually negotiated, like each individual writer, um, how well they're known, how much they've done before, how much they're, you know, they're going to do, um, for the show. Like if you're, um, we had some, some pretty high level writers on that show and, yeah. uh, their resumes sort of determine how much they're getting paid per episode. And I don't know that, um, I don't even know if you can find that stuff out. Like it's just sort of up to each writer to do that. Mine actually is pretty easy. Easy. It's the WGA minimum. Everyone could see how much I'm making. Everyone on set knew how much I was making. You know? um, so, it's, so do your do your manager? Do all the writers have managers that negotiate those deals, or is that like through a union rep or something like that? It's managers and agents. Um, for mine, pretty easy because like. Um, being that was my first WGA job so your IMDB also determines like how much you've done 
determines what level you're going to come in at. Um, I learned very quickly. You need to keep that updated at all times. Um, um, And you don't have to have, as a writer, you can negotiate that yourself. Um, I haven't met one yet that does. So it's so complicated. I still don't understand half the things I'm finding. And I just have a very good trust in my agents that they're, (laughs) that they understand these and they have lawyers look them over all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I do understand. I don't think I'm, like I'm a total idiot with them. Before, a few years ago, I, I was doing it all myself, but I was, um, once you're into uh, network pun time kind of kind of deals, it starts also getting a little scary. That's when I started like signing the NDAs. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You felt like, oh my God, they're, they're going to come for, they're going to come for my house if I yes. reveal anything about this show ahead of time. Um, once you're starting to sign those, I, I, I actually was without an agent for far longer than like my mentor and other people thought I should be. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, fortunately I have very good ones and they'll um, do the fighting for it. It's more expected. Um, very few people will actually start negotiating with you immediately. They'll actually sort of ask for uh agents and managers information because that's much more usual and then do you join the the union i mean it you know like sag if you're in so many productions then you you have to join so is that a thing or did you have to join like right as you came on staff yeah it's um it's definitely similar actors it's honestly i think it's much more complicated for actors because it's how much time and how much, you know, all of these things. And those kind of things do apply, but it's a little more cut and dry because you're, you're signing on for an entire show usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of automatically um, you're eligible versus with SAG, it has to be so many hours, even if you're not, you know, so it could take multiple shows and movies and whatever to belong. But um, um, for this, uh, it was required you, to be able to work on the show. You have to belong to WDA. So that was, a that was not really a choice. <laughs> um, uh, you're, you sort of need to immediately apply and roll whatever. And that's, so that's when I finally joined because um, children's animation, there are a few shows that are represented by the WDA, but most children's animation or others, are not belong to the WGA and spoiler they also don't pay you as much <laughs> like the, yeah. there's a reason that the union you want to join a union is because there's a rate you're going to get for a children's animation that is nothing even close to what you're going to get for uh, say Family Guy or the Great North you know it's it's going to be a completely different scale because you're represented by a union now the episode that you're credited as writing the full episode. It sounds like it's what you did for the final, like episode 11 of Alaska Daily. You're balancing a lot of threads that occur across the season, yeah. right? And and what you're yeah. describing here of like maybe writing act per act before you have to deliver it suggests that you have to have a lot of preparation about those particular threads. And I'm curious how that occurred for you. Yeah. Yeah, when I say five days, it's not like we just sort of came up with the idea for the whole episode in that day. Up until that, you're in the room. You're um, 
and when the episode's in the room, it's sort of all up for grabs, you know, here, um, all of the writers, or at least all the writers that are there, there are some on set, um, are, or some that are off writing their own episodes. So any of the writers available are deciding what the episode's going to be. Um, and so that part is entirely teamwork. You know, you're going with, uh, how do we wrap up this? How do we want to set it up if there's a second season, but we don't want to leave it on a cliffhanger because what if it's not and all of that. Um, and yeah, it did definitely, it, it very much changed the job. Um, and actually I didn't know even if I'd still have that job because usually the last episode is written by the showrunner or the creator. So I sort of expected it, uh, to not be able to write that anymore. The staff writer is also the only one who's not guaranteed an episode. All of the mm. other writers get guaranteed an episode. Um, and the staff writers just aren't, um, many times staff writers will be on, will be on staff for years before they'll get an episode. So I felt really, really lucky to have that. But when it changed from being an episode near the end where I could sort of still play with story you know, a little bit. And we have, I'm a little heartbroken at what got lost in that too, because we couldn't do this new stuff that I was hoping we could do and kind of had planned on going to do. Instead it was, yeah, you have to wrap up everyone else's story. And the kind of running joke was with Andrew, especially who was writing number 10. Um, we go and we're like, well, that's a problem. Well, Vera's gonna have to solve that one. Like, <laughs> we don't know how this is gonna be resolved yet, but Vera will have to figure that one out in her episode. So I'll let her deal with it. And uh, here's and the phone records. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was truly like, and I was just like fighting, like, okay, guys, let's. But how are we gonna end that? We're like, we don't know yet. We'll figure it out. It's like, oh, you mean I'll figure it out? <laughs> you. You're, you know, you're never truly like you're going to um, what it gets down to uh, if you've ever seen uh, it portrayed is yeah like the stereotypes of like all the all the different colored cards up in the room that's exactly what it is it's all of these chunks of stories that's broken down per act um, per scene all of that and you sort of have this by the time you leave the room and you go to draft or go to outline first um you have basically a bunch of note cards of generally what each scene is going to be and for the most part that you're going to take that and that's your framework and you're going to follow that um but it can wildly change when <laughs> you're actually writing a thing and just like oh this is not working um and fortunately for mine it worked um and I didn't have to do too much differently because we just didn't have time to figure out the new stuff. <laughs> you know? And at the same time, it was also a little easy because even though I would have loved to do some um, new storyline and new character work and, and that kind of thing that I was had in my head, um, there's also something a little easier about taking all the work everyone's done all season long and just tying each up each of those threads up. There's it's sort of harder and easier at the same time. So it, it was interesting. It was a pretty good education too in TV writing um, to be able to wrap that up. Um, for TV, I'd only ever done animation before. And for children's animation, you don't have many that even go from one episode to the next. There's very few, like for Molly Denali, for instance, where it goes into the next episode. Each episode is its own contained little thing. 
So it was a great education to get not only an episode where you have to follow it for this hour, but you have to follow what everyone else's work has been for the whole season. So in that way, it's kind of challenging and fun and um, unlike anything I'd ever done before. Well, if I can make a suggestion now that everything is canceled, I would love to see <laughs> a, a series of books with with Roz and Eileen to continue the story. I would read that book series like crazy. I think it would be great. That would be so juicy. Like we had so much good, good stuff in there too that yeah. pulled back on and it was just like, oh, there's some good stuff. I had one of the actors actually, I won't say who got mad at me because I was like, oh man, do you know what we had planned for your character? And he's like, stop it, shut up. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. I was like, but it was good. It was so good. He's like, I don't want to hear it. Like For, for the ideas that you couldn't go through with, um, Going forward on Alaska Daily, um, do you see yourself revisiting those or incorporating that into some other work down the road? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there came a point where, um, especially when you know there's a really good, like, juicy thing you had. And sometimes it's not even just like they didn't want to do it. Sometimes it just doesn't work for what audiences are responding to. That that was actually a first for me for TV because with animation, you know, I write the thing and then two years later sometimes it, it airs <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, wow. find out and I'm, there's there's been episodes that coming out I'm like I don't even remember what I wrote for that but apparently I wrote it let's find out with the rest of the world what I wrote um because it's just been so long since you've addressed it so to actually be writing something as that something is airing um was a lot of pressure but also kind of fun because you could respond to how audiences are responding yeah. to it and play up certain characters and play down certain characters and um, some, so some of that, yeah, where things just weren't working or didn't have time, whatever, was absolutely like, okay, well, that's going in a notebook. That's mm-hmm. so good. There's <laughs> absolutely, there's this little storyline that was in my head the whole, you know, time we were in the room that I never got to put out there because it just wasn't, you know, the working for whatever. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely like, I'm doing that though. You know, wow. <laughs> like, that's, that's going to happen. And I think most writers do have that. I've done that with plays where it didn't quite work out. I had to cut once um, before a, a public reading of one of my plays. I realized about 35 pages weren't working. And so I cut 35 pages out. And I was like, well, that's going to turn into something. <laughs> All of that. It was so good. It's so juicy. And it wasn't working for this, but by God, I'm going to put that in something. And I have before. Like, there's there's stuff I used in Alaska Daily that I initially had that idea somewhere else. Or um, there was actually a couple funny points where um, we actually were talking about something in a room, and one of the Molly episodes premiered, and I realized it was basically the same thing <laughs> that I wrote for Molly, but in this like very dramatic live action <laughs> brooding. <laughs> Uh, that it still worked you know (laughs) and sometimes just can't for molly i don't know how many times like i've pitched like killing characters so and they're like we're not we're not killing people (laughs) 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 and i was like you know what kids need kids need to deal with death too and they're like no that's not that's not this show um, I definitely tend to like to kill beloved characters, especially. Yeah. So those kind of things, if we can't, there was one character in Alaska Daily that not only did I 
I fight to get killed. <laughs> but they promised me, they promised me they'd kill him. And they didn't. Not only did he not get killed, but I had to wrap up his story. And I was like, so mad about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Does, does this happen in, as a result of episode seven at all? Um, well, episode seven is where I thought he'd die. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Bummer. I thought it was good. But and this is, is it was a direct result of audiences liking the character. Oh, and sure. like, right. We should okay. right. yeah, exactly. Game of Thrones him. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were on the wrong. Yeah, when I met the that, actor, I, I met the actor too. Yeah. Yeah, I met the actor and I had to like no, I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> I almost was like, I really wanted your character to die. In retrospect, though, knowing it didn't get renewed, how cool would it have been? Is, right, I'm yeah. still right. like yeah. arguing for it, you know, yeah. well after it's been done. Right, yeah. <laughs> Writer's cut. It is tough. Like, there's, there's actually some tough decisions as a writer where, you know, actors will or won't get hired because of it or will get less time or more time. And, and it's one thing for a lot of the lead actors just sort of get paid per episode regardless, but especially like guest actors or, you know, characters that are recurring or whatever, you kind of know you're writing people jobs or not. <laughs> like there's, there's a, a weird sort of hiring power there that I try not to let get in the way. I'd like it just to be a good story and not think about that, but you do think about it. Like you, you think about, okay, if I kill this guest actor, he's, he's gone, you know, he's going to find another show to work on. So mm -hmm. um, those kind of arguments, like the, probably the best TV writers don't pay attention to it, Yeah. but I sure do. Like it's, it's, it's really hard not to. And honestly, like there came a time where they'd be asking us like, Oh, would this be a, a native character or not? And every time we'd be like, yep, native, <laughs> they have to be native. Like, <laughs> why is you? more jobs for native actors so it's like of course there would absolutely be no reason a clerk in alaska would be anything but native of course you know <laughs> right right exactly we have no non-native clerks in alaska you're silly uh, so yeah you do don't the go into starbucks always, yes they're always native yeah uh, oh yeah like starbucks we have nothing but native starbucks uh exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and their whole family yeah. <laughs> I'm curious if you have a secret um, death that might have uh, the a hypothetical death that could happen in Super Kitties at all. Is there? Like <laughs> I don't know if you could talk about that at all. <laughs> so the funny part is after writing for Molly for something, Molly really relies on being very realistic um, and very. Would a child in Alaska really do this or not? Would a child in uh, a native village in Alaska really do this or not and you have to think about that at the same time like they can't get in too much danger um, they can't mm. you know we have to be responsible at how we're showing like really make an example of this because yeah. um, it's supposed to be modeling this realistic thing and you go to super kitties you know <laughs> <laughs> Kitten, kittens and superhero outfits battling like mini octopuses and you know it's <laughs> the and I think the last episode I worked on um a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago sorry um we had this whole sequence where they're fighting like literally putting themselves in danger of like lasers you know <laughs> and it's just a different world 
um, where, I mean, obviously, like, cats shoot lasers, or rats, rats shoot lasers, and kitties turn into oh, right. helicopters and, and stuff. Of course. And so, yeah. it's funny, we're actually in much more danger, if, if it were to in some way be realistic, you're, you're, in much, you're putting the, these kittens in much more danger than you are <laughs> in Molly, and yet, it still has to be funny, and we have to know, they have to, they do kind of direct you to show that um, they're fine and they got bonked on the head, but it's a little cartoon, you know, little swirly birds kind of knocked on the head, not like probably the, the death it would have been. <laughs> out of that kind of thing. So yeah, um, I, I do like super kitties cause it's, um, it's the focus on kindness. And so there are these, are these villains and they are called villains, but you have to, at the end sort of, empathize a little bit of what the villain was trying to do they just didn't go about it in a very good way and you teach the lesson and but there is there's one villain especially like "Mm, you know how he'd really learn his lesson (laughs) (laughs) if the dangerous things he was doing put his little co-conspirator in and he died (laughs) he'd really learn his lesson so yeah. yeah, and this is why I, I do need to work in different mediums because <laughs> I got a I got a murder character. There's this one actor in one of my plays where she played multiple characters in the play, and she died, and ev- every single one of her characters like died. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we just kept killing her off, and that was the first time where they pointed out like, you know, you kill an awful lot of people in your plays. It's like, well. Everyone dies, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah, everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're not getting out of this alive. Yeah, they, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of them was even like, I, I, I think I'd said something. Like, well, I mean, only two of the characters die, and they're like, their your entire place starts with an entire village getting murdered by a giant sea monster, and I was like, oh yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Started the death count up high. Uh, I think. I mean. It's not that I just love killing people, but, but. in defense of death, <laughs> yeah. um, it gets people to this emotional extremes very quickly. Like if you're just sort of like in a day-to-day life, you don't talk about sort of the real stuff that organically. Mm-hmm. Like you're, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be like, why are they talking about this now? Uh, and only one character might be there because they're ruminating on something. But when someone dies, um, all of a sudden you can get to these really extreme emotions and people are acting not like they usually do and doing things um, to create conflict that they might not already do. So it's kind of a, a nice way to ex- explore the human condition in a very, in a very fast way. And I would argue that like if, if we've watched Succession, um, when a certain character dies, boy, a lot happens, you know, just, mm-hmm. just that one death. Right. They, they spend a whole season on it, you know, because it, it just touched so many things that it made the characters react in certain ways. So in, in my defense of death is what I will write this essay. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, that sounds like your, your memoir book. <laughs> in defense, yeah. of, death. In defense, in defense of, death. of death. I have to, I have to kind of laugh because I'm like, well, actually, because I do a whole workshop on like, cricket's had these practices to get, to get honestly kind of serious for what like cricket had, these whole family week and years long formalities for death and ways that the whole community prepared for recognizing death and passing on 
responsibilities. And that was literally made illegal. And so I do a whole workshop on, it's called um, Healing Through Storytelling, where we, these modes of understanding death got taken away from us at the same time where there was more trauma than there ever was before for our communities. <laughs> at the time we needed to be able to reach to those ways of dealing with death. Those, those were all taken from us. You could literally be put in jail for dealing with death in the way that your community understood how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I kind of purposely, I, I know I purposely put it in a few plays where um, three, <laughs> I forgot what to write about death. Um, three plays that I've sort of dealt with different uh, parts of that process of communal grief, because that's what we need back. We need um, this sort of weird, you bury them in a week and you're, you're done grieving <laughs> or not, or, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of expected to take off two weeks of work and then come back and uh, it doesn't work. And it certainly doesn't work for our communities that need it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, Sometimes it is funny and I just want to kill someone because I think it'd be, I think it'd be good storytelling, but sometimes it's very on purpose and it's meant to actually portray what we've always done and how we've dealt with it and the ceremony, important ceremony um, that got taken from us and putting that back. There was a play, Devilfish, that I did, my last play I did here in Douglas, Juno, um, dealt with that in a big way, like actually had... Um, some things portrayed on stage that hadn't hadn't been put together again in the way that we've done performing arts because the performing arts are made illegal um, and created that around not only death but marriage and puberty you know these things that are so hush hush in a, in a western sense that native people made huge ceremonies about and celebrated um, brought that together all in a play to sort of look at a whole life cycle Again, yeah, I think in defense of death, I was like, ha funny memoir, actually. That's- <laughs> <laughs> that could work for my body of work, probably, at this point. Right. And, and Devilfish is the one that has that high body count at the beginning, right? That's the... Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right away, this... Yeah, you. it actually is starts immediately after the point at which a giant devilfish, which is a giant octopus, like the size of a mountain comes and destroys an entire village and kills everyone but one little girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Which is, this is very clinket, right? We're, we're very um, known, as, known as a bit of a warrior society. All of our stories sort of started off with one day this terrible thing happened, a bunch of people died at the end. Like that's a very clinket story. <laughs> Pretty brutal. Like it's, it's very brutal. And the end, the devilfish actually picks off, it's like a sequel to a traditional Clinket legend that my clan had. Um, so it, the legend is this giant sea creature came and destroyed this whole village, and there was one little girl, one survivor. The end. You know that was my bedtime story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was probably fascinated with death, right? So it's like everyone died, and this little girl is there. Now good night, go to sleep. And this whole play is what happened to that little girl. She's supposed to be our ancestor. So mm-hmm. how how did she survive in the wilderness, mm-hmm. in the Alaskan wilderness, and become our ancestor? So in my defense of death, also, like, it's cultural. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. It's very cultural to sort of have this dealing with death as a lesson. That's very clinket things. Like, if you do that, you'll die. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a tough love kind of culture. There's also talking animals in that, right? Like, there's 
Um, oh yeah. <laughs> not on, not on like kitties that talk to each other. Um, I mean, clearly, super kitties may not seem that cultural, but but really, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got talking cats. You got well. The funny thing, so I think one of the reasons that I like um, one of the villains has a little a little sidekick. Yes. That's a little tiny octopus. Yes. Uh-huh. And in yeah. my head cannon, that little villain <gasps> octopus that's like <laughs> like the size of a penny. Yes. Uh, becomes the super villainous devil fish of my culture. Like right. obviously, yes. I think that's yeah. I think that's canon. I mean, it seems like it's also related. Like you bring snow into this, right? <laughs> in that relationship. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So myself and uh, Princess Johnson. I was the other native writer, is the other native writer on Super Kitties and Alaska Native, both of us are Alaska Native. And mm-hmm. um, when I pitched my stories was after she had pitched her stories and the showrunner of that was laughing. She's like, okay, this is just a story about like kitties who've made their own fictional world with superheroes. <laughs> and you both pitched very Alaskan. <laughs> so hers was like about picking blueberries and mine was about snow. And I was like, well, you can take a girl out of Alaska. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I, I mean even the one I have most recently it's still about like taking care of the earth and I was explaining all these sort of native principles and he was like these are great but it's still about you know cartoon kittens <laughs> like yeah. oh yeah 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 well <laughs> car- cartoon kittens would especially be taking care of the land just FYI <laughs> Well, any final questions for our guest before I read off some rather startling statistics? Yeah. Um, any advice for any budding up and coming creatives who want to get into the screenwriting biz? Yeah. I mean, it sounds so boring. I think a lot of the times that people expect like advice on the craft itself, I think I found more success because I can write on a deadline, mm-hmm. can understand the assignment. Like that's, that's kind of like the, the almost running joke. Did you understand the assignment? But truly it's, it's really about figuring out what they want. Yeah. Most of the writing you do um, at the beginning and maybe for years and years of your career is going to be in the style they want, <laughs> on the mm-hmm. topics they want, um, you know, up until you're up at, at the big job, um, you need to be able to, to write how they want you to write. And that can be a big ego check for a lot, but sort of finding that balance of how can I write how, you know, how and what I want to write, but still um, get it in the style they want is in itself such a skill to learn. So literally like write and figure out whoever, whoever you're trying to write for, write like they want you to write and if you do that with integrity and, and keeping with obviously super kitties, <laughs> such a prime example of that. Um, I got this advice as a journalist when I was like 17, 18, when I was sort of deciding, like I, I always know I don't want to be a creative writer, but knew from the very beginning, it's, it's very hard to sort of find that one job that's just going to pay you to be a creative writer. So, so what are you going to do in the meantime? I asked um, some journalists, some you know, questions about, all right, what, you know, which degree should I get? What, what should I do? What should I sign up for? And they said, you just need to know everything about everything. And at the time I didn't think it was that helpful. It was like, really? <laughs> you know? But I found the truth in that, which is 
I, my plan in life was not to write for cartoon kittens for Disney. <laughs> you know, like, um, but because I just feel like I'm like a hoarder of knowledge and just figure out little pieces of everything that I can do. And um, in my case, uh, it's a necessity to know how to write journalism style and animation style and playwriting style and live action yeah. network style. It's, yeah, it's everything about everything. And you never, you never know what's going to be useful and, and, and what's not and what you can say. But kind of the running joke on Alaska Daily was, is they were like, what have you not done? <laughs> what have you, uh, I, there was actually, I did, the, Tom, the creator, introduced me to one of the actors and like, we haven't figured out anything she hasn't done yet. <laughs> and so the actor was like, well, tell me, tell me one thing you haven't told them. And I was like, well, I used to, you know, manage a division one NCAA division one basketball team. And everyone's like, what? You know, (laughs) (laughs) but I was then asked to write the basketball scene (laughs) for uh, the episode. You just literally never know. I've written some basketball scenes for Molly to our basketball episodes. Um, You literally never know what it is. And the more diverse as a writer, as a freelance writer, the more diverse you can make what you offer, the better. Because like at a certain point, like right now, I'm, I'm just finished a primetime network TV show, but I still need that theater work and that editing work and that animation work to sort of make my life possible. So yeah, that was, that was a very long-winded answer, but it, it is sort of learn everything about everything and understand the assignment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just to cycle back around to the WGA strike, we've had, thank you for all of your insights on that. I'm going to read off the top, pay, the total pay for top Hollywood executives <laughs> over five years. So the head of Netflix, Ted Sarandos, $192 million in five years. Bob Iger from Disney, $200 million in five years. Reed Hastings from Netflix, $210 million. I don't know who Endeavor is that a network? Ari Emanuel. I think it's a he production. Made, yeah, he made $350 million in five years. The head of Warner Brothers Discovery. Anybody want to guess? 300? 500. $500 million in five years. Really? Half a billion dollars in five years. And so I think the the writer's strike is asking for a living wage for Mm -hmm. their writers, for their creatives. For thousands of writers. Yeah, for thousands of writers. I think that's doable. You know, the Netflix board just voted Mm -hmm. to (laughs) reevaluate their executive pay, which I think is great. Yeah, what, what Netflix sort of share of that i know they they put out netflix has been especially um gatekeeping in this uh when it comes to all of the studios negotiated mm-hmm. as a group and netflix has, has sort of been one of the tougher ones in this and that bonus pay that came out recently 122 million dollars just the bonus pay for the executives could have paid for their share of the increase three times over Mm-hmm. Uh, just for a handful of executives that would receive that thousands of writers could have you know it, it's just insane to me how they don't see you know, that truly like 
they're not going to be, they get hundreds of millions a year. They're not going to feel the hurt of giving writers a wage where they can make a living off of. They're, they're not going to feel it at all. So Mm-mm. it seems a little insane. So stay union strong. We support the WGA. Sounds like SAG, maybe following close oh, behind yeah. SAG AFTRA. Yeah, they just had their vote. Awesome. They almost 98% of actors. Tens of thousands, they're much bigger than the writer. Tens of thousands of actors uh, voted to authorize a strike if, if they don't negotiate fairly. And they've been supportive from the beginning to the writers. So rooting for both of our groups. So is there anything that we, the public, can do to support the WGA? Definitely um, spreading the word. And sort of one of these fights is not even one of the fights. The big battle that we can really have is the PR battle is <laughs> sort of how much they're supporting it. 2007, 2008, it's hard to quantify, but the, the sort of general consensus is the writers did not win that battle. <laughs> like they did not win the PR battle and the studios have a lot of money to put behind their own PR battle. And this one, the general consensus is we're, we're kind of winning that battle because it's so obvious. Like it's, it's so incredibly obvious. And honestly, like social media is such a bigger thing uh, since mm-hmm. then. So it sounds it sounds very lame and like, oh, no, no, awareness, but it truly does. Like the, the studios are paying attention to how much all of this gets play in the media and how much the shareholders, um, honestly, I 100% believe that the shareholders were paying attention to their vote for the CEOs or the executive bonus pay that just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much believe that was a, PR battle that the WGA won. So it sounds very lame, but literally sharing that, um, sharing things you see, uh, all, all of that can help. That's great. I definitely have been reposting and sharing stuff that I see from all of the picket lines and, and, and you know, break a leg. Hope it all comes out well. Oh, yeah. Me too. And then ultimately, we all want to, we want to be writing. <laughs> we all want to be doing our job. So Hopefully they'll, um, by next month, hopefully they'll make some bigger movements. And yeah, don't cease for your support. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just remind everybody during quarantine, remember how much we appreciated artists and <clears throat> stories and how it helped us through some of the toughest times in our lifetime. So pay them a living wage. Pretty please. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, Kiana, for being with us tonight, and we'll let you get back to painting your your bookcases. And if oh, anybody's, yeah. <laughs> let's see, you have some big signs at your house. So if anybody's going through, mm-hmm. what what sound is that? Uh, out out here, um, guessing channel, and it's basically between uh, Juno and and Douglas Island. If you're on a cruise ship, especially, you can pointed that big old sign right at all the 1.5 million cruise ship passengers that are passing by our house this summer. Yeah. So give them a big honk honk or don't and let them sleep. That's fine too. (laughs) (laughs) Take a picture and post it on social media and just keep it quiet. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Come take, take your cruise to Alaska. Come by our house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whale watching we got whale watching tours go right by here watch a whale watch a writer at work 
Hey, listen, those, orcas, those orcas need to start tipping those boats over like they do on yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. Awesome. Yeah, I will uh, I'll go spray paint. <laughs> but goodness to all of you. Yes. Yeah, thanks so much. That was thank great. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And you'll have and to come back always... if you ever have news about anything new. About a new project or anything you want to talk about. Yes, if there is a project, for sure. And so thanks for everybody for listening and support your WGA. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real indigenous. Real. Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was delayed on unmuting there. Feel it. <laughs> <laughs>